welcome to Chucked. We are here the morning after LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers stole game one in uh, straight robbery fashion from the Toronto Raptors. And uh, as, a, it was, as we were just talking, it's a um, you said there was good news and bad news you felt from it? Yeah, the bad news for Toronto is is they got beat without LeBron at his best. Mm-hmm. But he thought, and I would say it's true. He still had a triple-double. He still had a triple-double, I know. <laughs> But it was one of his worst games, which tells you the level he's played at this year. That's the bad news for Toronto. The good news is LeBron looked tired. Yeah. The good news for Toronto. Yeah. Uh, he did look tired, and how's he going to get his legs back? He's, he's just settled, pulling so Settled much. for a lot of jump shots. Yeah. Uh, he hit a few big ones. Yeah. Uh, he willed a few in. Uh, it was the first. I think it was the first game of the playoffs that another Cavalier aside from LeBron yeah. scored 20. JR. Um, I just forever I, go down as a J.R. Smith game. Yeah, I just oh my gosh, how, I was sitting there watching it last night. How good would they be if they still had Kyrie? Yeah, those I those mean, are the uh, games that Kyrie uh, Kyrie wanted for him because he did. Yeah. LeBron can't find a bucket. Yeah. And Kyrie can. Yeah, just it's really sad because I I mean this team it feels like the pre Miami Cavaliers. You know, yeah. I I I think with oh, a better LeBron probably with a better LeBron, but just a cast. Mm-hmm. Um, something must be wrong with Kevin Love. I mean, he's just not. Let me very ask you this: um, If LeBron leads this team to the finals, not wins it, but leads this team to the finals, is that a greater accomplishment, a greater feat than Michael Jordan beating a Brian Russell um, Utah Jazz team in the finals? I would say not, but I think it's worthy of the question. Is it better than Michael Jordan beating a Clyde Drexler, um, Cliff Robinson team in the finals? No, I, I don't think so. <laughs> Is it better than Michael Jordan beating a Hersey Hawkins team in the finals? <laughs> no. But here's the thing. I mean, to your point, to your point. Uh, Is it better than Michael Jordan beating a Dan Marley team in the finals? No, it's not. I mean, the finals are a whole nother level. It's the air up there is so rare. Uh-huh. But I, I, you know, the thing about that, why I would take LeBron slightly over Jordan now is, is LeBron's never played with two Hall of Famers on the mm-hmm. Cavs. Now, he had a Hall of Famer and Dan, uh, Dwayne Wade on the Heat, but, I mean, Rodman and Pippen, you know, think about the Cavs teams particularly. Would they win their division after LeBron left like the, mm-hmm. the Bulls did? Yeah, I think the or the Bulls won one less game the year, in '94, the year Jordan yeah, wasn't there. Yeah, and went, to, I and mean, went to seven what seven games in the conference yeah. finals against the Knicks. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know. You know, I mean, you can only measure numbers. You can't get. I think you can't get into the subjectivity. Well, the NBA is not as strong now as it was then. Mm-hmm. Yes and no. I mean, I yeah. I, this I, is actually I something that. I talked about yesterday. Is I think if you know, you can't. Yes, you can't say that the NBA is better or worse now than it was in the '90s or. In the '80s, um, it certainly was more physical, right? It was, which it was in my a, opinion, it wasn't as strained out, you know, as as, as watered down, probably. In but. my opinion, if if it is more physical, we we can say that you know there was hand checking and, and all this harder fouls. I think that suits LeBron. LeBron's even better in that, oh, because he's oh. he's uh, he's allowed to bang around. He's, oh. he's bigger than Charles Oakley and Anthony Mason, and yeah. Um, I mean, right now he's dunking over Rudy Gobert, but, you know, back then, what, Billy Beer is going to be harder than Rudy Gobert? You know, I think 
you know, that's my generation you're talking about, but the conditioning today is far better than it was then. Yeah, no you one know, does cocaine the, every night. Yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> Anymore. Really, but I mean, the level uh, of athleticism in the world today mm-hmm. with recovery and mm-hmm. yeah. science and is so beyond what it was then. But mm-hmm. So anyway, it was good, it was a bad last night. I, I, could think, see them I think more good for the Cavs. I could see them winning the series in six, and I could see them losing it in five. Still, even uh, yeah, after I, last night, I could, I, I could at see the, it go be, at the, In the first half last night, I told your mom, I said, they're going to lose this series in six. I, I just they're not as good as the Raptors. I do think they match up better. The Raptors are better than the Pacers. But I do think there's some better matchups for the Cavs roster against the Raptors than there was the Pacers. Pacers were just they they were scrambling. The Valanciunas, I don't think he's going to career every game. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I don't know if that's a real worry. His mm-hmm. his his true colors showed in the second half when he started. I mean, the Raptors true colors showed when they just buckled and peed down their leg in the second half. Um, when the, really? When they, where, where, I didn't see that. Was there? Was there? Was there evidence <laughs> on the floor? Was, what? Yeah, it was wrapped <laughs> urine everywhere. But no, <laughs> they missed. The, they, they, like. they missed what the fifteen of the last sixteen shots to end the game. Yeah, I mean, they, I mean, yeah. they buckled. They, they, you know, I was, I was shocked when I saw the Cavs were still close by five. I'm like, well, this is, this is crazy. At the end of the third quarter is when I thought. Cavs might win this one, you yeah. know, just because this shouldn't it's, be this close. They're a four seed against a one seed at the one seed's place, and they, you know, as bad as they played all game, a tired LeBron and Kevin Love is yeah. non-existent, and they're down two possessions in the fourth. Yeah. You know, and by the wild. way, I'm a big Kevin Love fan. I, I I think he's so valuable. But man, I'm I'm with some of the guys right now that are saying, "Hey, hustle back when you do turn it over, please. When you do miss mm-hmm. the shot, yeah. pl- hustle back, please." <laughs> you know, I mean, so, something's I, not right there, man. I've defended him long enough. He's starting to feel, you know, you've, I've, um, he has a talent, but he's, uh, I don't know, who knows how banged up he is. Yeah. You know, you never know. But, uh, but yeah, I could, I could see him, um, this series going anyway. But, uh, yeah. But yeah. So another big thing is the, the draft happened last week, yes. right after our yeah. last chucked. So, yeah. Um, Baker Mayfield at one, Denzel Ward at four. For our Cleveland Brownies. Yeah. Yeah, I I didn't see that coming, you know, I, at all. Uh, obviously, leading up to the draft, the word became that the Browns were going to go after Mayfield. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I I, I like the riskiness of it. I come, I, mean, I like anyone who's competitive like he is and his accurate. It'll be refreshing. I, when's the last time the Browns had an accurate quarterback? Mm-hmm. Not, I'm not talking about a good one. Just someone who had accuracy. So frustrating last year. In particular, just easy throws missed. And I don't think he'll miss those easy throws. The thing that concerns me about Mayfield is he's not as fast as Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. And Russell Wilson is like Russell Wilson. eight is time? Yeah. That's crazy. Russell Wilson's Russell Wilson. He moves quicker he, than that, though, I will say. I think so. Mayfield's you know, a little more elusive than that 4-8. Yeah, yeah, like Manziel kind of did that, too. He's he's, uh, But... But Russell Wilson is just such – he puts such pressure on the defense because of his mobility, his quickness. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's a wait and see. I, is he bigger I, than Wilson? Yeah, he's a little Ooh. bigger than Wilson. 6'1", 6'2". Yeah, he's, he's not 6'1". He's not quite 6'1". He was just a little under 6'1". Was he? Um, but I like his I like his chutzpah, you know? I mean, he's yeah. he's yeah. got – I mean, yeah, you know. You know, the, you know the locker room will like him. Yeah, I think yeah, I think so. I think I think the dog pound will like him. You know, I think he'll meld well walk with Cleveland. Walk on yeah. guy, yeah. Um, I was surprised at Denzel Ward, but you know, I, 
the value of a guy who can take half the field away. Dorsey kind of alluded to that he was just the he was the best player available at four. Right? Wow! I mean that he, yeah. he didn't say that literally, but that's kind of what he said was, you know, we look for the next best player at four, and that's yeah. that's who who it was. Well, I wanted so. Saquon Barkley, and I wanted Bradley Chubb, and they mm-hmm. got Nick Chubb. In the second round, a lot of people think is better than Barkley. Mm-hmm. I'm good there. I think I think the strength of their draft for sure was in the second round and beyond. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they got that offensive lineman, and, and they, they got, got the Chubb. offensive lineman. Yeah. yeah, and then they got another pass rusher, that guy from Florida. Which I'm not. Anytime a guy, uh, no, no offense against musicians, but like this guy's a musician, that Chad Thomas from Miami, mm-hmm. and he has another career. I don't know about that. You know, you yeah. play football because you're you're desperate. You're mm-hmm. hungry. You do. Yeah. You know. You don't play football as a. Yeah, I think I'll do this because I really have another career. Music's going to so. sound real nice when Ooh, Saturday he has bruised ribs you're and his coach is making him play. Yeah, you're not kidding. And your third and your third August training camp comes. Yeah. Uh, no. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, talented guy, very physical. Mm-hmm. Um, but oh man, it's like it's like uh, you know. Thad Mata used to say, I never recruited kids at three-car garages. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, that kid's just not going to be <laughs> as, as hungry uh-huh. as, as a kid that, you know, mm. he, he got to make it. He's got to make it. He's hungry. So, but I, I, thought, I thought it deserved higher. I think Sports Illustrated gave the Browns a B-, minus, which is a, it's a totally useless thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's totally useless. I think it deserved higher than that. Uh, they actually gave the Bengals a better draft grade than the Browns, mm-hmm. which I, I love Sam Hubbard, but Sam Hubbard, I do think, is going to be a very average NFL player. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got a high motor, but he's not J.J. Watt. He's a much smaller version of J.J. Watt. Mm-hmm. Um, without J.J. Watt. They got Billy Price, too, though. Yeah, they got Billy Price. I like that. I was mm-hmm. hoping the Browns could get him. Mm-hmm. But I like that. And so, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. I guess the the topic being that the very nature of the draft is such a crapshoot, mm-hmm. you know, because you have the Tom Brady story, what, six round, 199. Mm-hmm. You have the Joe Montana third round. Um, you have so many players who clearly didn't meet all the metrics, mm-hmm. uh, the combine meat market metrics, and... You just can't replace guys that are just football players. And then you have, obviously, your Ryan Leaf flameouts. Mm-hmm. Um, Furthermore, to your point, the the overwhelming number of three-star or lower recruits that get drafted. It's amazing. Far more than the four- and five-star exactly, recruits. Exactly. Which I think speaks to hunger. You know, this this yeah. kid that I was mentioning, Chad Thomas, out of the University of or Miami, Florida, you know, five-star guy. Mm-hmm. Coming into Miami, he was five star. I mean, he was one of the highest recruits in the country, but he never got really that much better. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. um, oh, I, Ohio State's landed a few big recruits this week, which mm-hmm. is great. Kid, the wide receiver from Texas, yeah. Wilson, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Garrett Wilson, linebacker. Um, but yeah, it, you know, the I never get ex- Lexington. Yeah, I never get excited about it, and I think that's why I can't get excited yeah. about recruiting because I can't get excited about a seventeen-year-old, and I no, can't really get so much. I know. too certain about and sure of myself about a twenty-one-year-old. Yeah, you know. and I, you know, I know. I mean, I, I think you were this way to an extent. I was a late bloomer, so I understand that. Golly, if I when I was evaluated out of high school versus how I was evaluated after my second year of college, mm-hmm. it's a totally different person. Yeah. 
Yeah. I was a totally different person. I was two inches taller. You know, mm-hmm. I could jump. I, 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 I could always jump, but I could. So I understood. But you know, after, once I got to college, it just took off for some mm-hmm. reason. But I, I always empathize with. That's why I probably understand Baker Mayfield is. Mm-hmm. I empathize with that. That person, you yeah. know, that that wasn't there. He was very slight of build coming out of high school. He wasn't the stocky. He's six, thick now. He's very mm-hmm. thick now. Yeah, he can take a pounding. And uh, so I understand that, and I I think it's fascinating. All these mock drafts, all this analysis. When in <laughs> fact, Milka. it's been pro. Oh gosh, it's been <laughs> proven they don't know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. They don't know. I mean, I mean, it's easy to guess that they know how to talk about what they're assessing. They know how to talk about what they're but assessing. They don't know them. what. Yeah. Any conclusion yeah. to anything. Yeah. It's all, so. it's all language. Uh, switching, I want, to, I want to switch gears um, a lot from Mel Kuyper and um, his, it, you know, attempted knowledge, but certain ignorance uh, to this weekend, which is, a, which is a big weekend. I know your mind's there. Um, this weekend is the, the last week of I Lost My Faith. The hope of heaven. It's the it's the uh, our first big splash, which is our baptism weekend at Southbrook. We do it about two a year, if you don't know, um, where we, a lot of people get baptized. We have forty some signed up right now uh, for the Saturday night service. Um, so, I, so I wanted to you know kind of the last time minutes we have here um, talk about that a little bit. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up is something that um, we can get to the big splash part of it. Um, in a minute, but first the heaven side of it, the hope of heaven. It's an interesting title to me. Um, that number one, I think all of these, all the titles throughout the series, none of it points towards certainty. All the titles are this, uh, this, um, this uh, are you know almost posed as questions. You know the 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 first cause of everything and. Um, Mm-hmm. The you know there's the there's no there's not the, evil, yeah there's not the statements of, of yeah. certainty there are they are um, open ended mm-hmm. st- you know titles and certainly the hope of heaven it's not the certainty of heaven or the assurance mm-hmm. of heaven or anything um, it's interesting and um, but the hope of heaven I always have there's this quote I always have thought about since I read the book a few years ago three or four years ago and it's one of those things where I don't know if you have these things where you think you know what they mean, but you can never really explain it. You know, there are certain things I know what they mean and I can explain them, or other things I don't know what they mean, so I can't explain them, but I'm looking at them. And there's other things that in the middle there where I know what they, I can feel what they mean, but I don't know how to, I wouldn't know how to explain it. And so towards the end of Surprised by Joy, C.S. Lewis says, I, he's commenting on something he developed from the idealists in the 19th century, Immanuel Kant, those philosophers that... Um, he says, I think it is more important that, how does he say? I think it is more important that heaven exist than any of us should reach it. And George, I know George McDonald has said something similar in, in, in what Lewis is saying there with that mm-hmm. heaven is within itself ontological. It, it is reality. It is utter, it's not, it's not spatial. It's not, um, spatial would be physical. 
Mm-hmm. And, if, and if hell is a separation from God, which is um, not a spatial room, but then, then heaven is this union with God and that his omnipresence is all present being is this place we enter into. We in, enter into him and we, um, but, it, but it's, but it's this, it's obviously I'm having trouble explaining it, but that heaven is a, it's not spatial. It is, it is reality. And I think what George MacDonald is saying in the great divorce is that, 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 that reality is here. Mm-hmm. It's not coming full. Mm-hmm. So what do you what what are your thoughts on that C.S. Lewis quote coming up this weekend? With it is more, I think it is more important that heaven exists than any of us should reach it. Well, I always took that to you mean you know the the reality of heaven inherent to that and and its converse hell mm-hmm. is accountability. So if there is a heaven, that means this life is very meaningful. Because there's accountability. Mm-hmm. This life matters. That's one. In terms of heaven as a reality right now into which we may enter based on our choice of desiring that heaven, of desiring the presence of God. So I think it's important at that. I don't know if that's what you're getting at, but I, for me, one of the things I'm speaking on this weekend is if there is no heaven, if there's no afterlife at all, then Hitler was right. Mm-hmm. Hitler was right. You got the men, you got the means, you power up, survival of the fittest, only the strong survive. Mm-hmm. And if you think the Aryan race is superior, there's no accountability. Like, he, he gets off. Mm-hmm. He gets off. He took the, you know, what did he do, take the pill or whatever he did? He's off. Mm-hmm. He's just annihilated. He becomes food for worms There's nothing, so he's off. So that's that's the essential necessity of heaven that I see why it gets accused as being a construct of religious people to scare people, you know, because there is an accountability to it, right? So it's essential to that. I mean, it's essential too, without hope we die. So if there is no hope, then that person who was subjugated to the horrors of Holocaust has no hope, really, hmm. of of the renewal, the redemption of this evil in some way through the freedom of eternal life. And so, um, as I'm speaking toward it this week, as I'm going to talk about hell quite a bit, Mm -hmm. too, is that's, to me, a part of the necessity of it, that every step I take, every breath I take, uh, uh, you know, I am accountable to God. I, I, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That my life's accountable to His reality. So it's the necessity of that. Is that what you're getting at there? Uh, that's yeah, how, I think, that's, I think, that's one of my applications. I think I just wanted to hear what you thought, what, what came to mind with that quote. Yeah. Like I said, I don't know what I, I even think of that quote. It resonates with me as true, but what I, what I hear and what you're saying is I hear you talking about not using the, overwhelmingly fearful word with a lot of Christians, which is judgment mm-hmm. or wrath. Um, that's kind of what I hear in that, in that, that this is, that this is the, um, this is the heaven and hell is the, is the end of, of, of um, us wondering about <laughs> what this cup, yeah, this exactly, wrath, this judgment know, is. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, now, 
you know, I talked about this yesterday on Ask Me Anything because a lot of heaven questions came up because of the nature of this week weekend. So a lot of questions about it. And one of the things I said is the unfortunate thing when we start talking about heaven and hell and the very mentioning of that alliterative contrast is inherent to that is our binary, um, very uh, linear Western thinking. So, you know, uh, I, I, I'm in hell, I'm in hell, I was living in hell, I got baptized, I crossed the line of heaven, and I'm Scales now tipped. in heaven, yes, yay, I'm in heaven. Oh, I had a bad day yesterday, I'm back in hell, you know. So there's this linear, this line, and I don't believe in that. I do think there is that choice that we make where we allow heaven to come into us. Mm-hmm. That's the most important thing. Jesus wasn't, as, it wasn't it, he, he doesn't talk much about getting you to heaven. He talks a lot about heaven getting into you. Mm-hmm. The kingdom of heaven is near. Repent and believe the good news. Mm-hmm. Change your thinking. Receive it. To those who received, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, you know, born not of the flesh, but of the spirit. And so, uh, you know, hell is, I don't want God. I don't want heaven. And you can experience heaven on earth. You can experience hell on earth. That does not minimize eternal hell. I'm not. I'm not minimizing that. But you can. You know, people have lived God-forsaken lives. They have forsaken God so much that they are living in a God-forsaken reality. And in Romans one, it says God turns them over. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about this a lot this week. Will God send Aunt Lydia to hell? Really? Mm-hmm. I mean, she didn't want a thing to do with him, but she baked great chocolate chip cookies. Mm-hmm. Is he really going to send her to hell? I'll- you know? I love what Frank Turek has about the similar thing with that, with his, this, um, some, uh, he was in, I guess he was in some debate with an atheist uh, lawyer mm-hmm. or something, and uh, said, my, my m- mother was the, was the greatest woman I ever met, mm-hmm. never heard a fly, um, but to her dying day, basically just, you know, she wouldn't believe in um, Christ, wouldn't believe in God. So are you telling me this, this woman who did, I think she said a lot of charity and and whatnot. Not just lived a a nice life, but did good. Are you telling me um, God's you know can, putting her in hell? Um, Turek says, let me frame it this way: Women, you've all had a man who wants yeah. to date you. I'm using this this are you? in this story, and yeah. I won't share it. <laughs> okay, so yeah, hold off on it. Okay. I'm using, That's a great I love one. that example. Mm-hmm. I love that yeah. example. You ever had a man that just kept pursuing you and kept pursuing you? So hold off on that. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna use that analogy this weekend. It's a really good analogy. If you brought up, but you know, I, I think it. You, you got all these questions and ask me anything of you know Old Testament God, New Testament God, and all this and that. Mm-hmm. And it's funny how in in and the in the first letter of the New Testament, right off the bat, there's there's just he's going on and on. And Paul's going on and on about the wrath of God, and um, how we're and this, this, you know, and reading on it, this this wrath he talks about isn't so much so the angry wrath, but it is this. Um, it's part of his love, actually. Oh well, yeah, it's part of his love. His how he describes it, if I'm being, if I'm being correct, isn't so much of a of a hateful wrath. It is more of a I'm I'm going to let you do what you you're doing. I'm not, even when it's talking about homosexuality, when it's talking about these things that we as Christian um, 
white Christian nation has, has been very hateful towards. That's not how the, the language Paul's using there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, he's just saying, I'm just going to, you can do what you want to do. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll let you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it won't violate choice. The hell that we live in, that what he condemns us to is the, the insatiable appetite that, um, that there's this Jewish, the Jewish saying of um, a, f- a fulfillment of a duty is met with reward. And, mm-hmm. and you know, the opposite is true. And that the, and the, the worst thing about sin is that sin begets sin. And that guilt and shame is this um, is this hell we're we're living in. Um, so, yeah. Well, you know, the, to go back to the draft for a moment, the scriptures present this present this picture of God has drafted all of us. He's paid. He selected us from the beginning of the world. So he 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 predestined that in Ephesians one. He chose us before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. Okay, so people took that to mean there's no choice in that. Now, from the very beginning, He arranged that you would be made holy through the blood of Christ, Mm -hmm. through the divine atonement, which was sufficient in the justice of God to replace the, the separation of sin. So we we are we are drafted. We can I think we that does not eliminate our reason for being, which is love, choice. We cannot sign with that team. Say I don't want to play for the Cleveland Browns. You know I don't want to, I don't want to play for that. And when you do that, you're separating yourself from that franchise. Mm-hmm. Right? The Browns aren't going. Well, then go away. Right? You are separating yourself, and so this is the divine dilemma: is God. As White Willard called it, the divine conspiracy. He had to show himself to us, but not in such a way where we had no choice. Mm-hmm. And hell is our choosing to say, no, I don't want that. Which is so interesting because the, the, the preface of Paul talking about the wrath of God in the first chapter of Romans, what does he say? What does he, what does he go on about? He's made himself clear by nature. Mm-hmm. That he has given us all His we need to know. Qualities. That we, uh, yes, we, 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 we can see him. Mm-hmm. And then it's when he goes into... Well, that's where I, I have never heard a story, you know, in terms of someone rejecting heaven's appeal and not wanting God. I, I, I've not yet come across anyone that didn't have some great mm-hmm. emotional reason for that rejection, mm-hmm. not an intellectual one. They may not have had the intellectual answers yet, mm-hmm. but it was that it wasn't at the root of it. Is the reason, is you know, uh, I'll never play for the Cleveland Browns because they hurt me. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'll never play for that franchise because when I was a little mm-hmm. kid, they moved away. You know, they moved to Baltimore, and I will never play there. Like there's, there was some reason why why you wouldn't want to do that. Uh, mm-hmm. That's emotional more than it is intellectual, and. Self-centered. I mean, the, the, yeah. what the, you know, from twenty-four on of that first chapter is, is just about self-centeredness mm-hmm. and seeking. Yeah. Um, did not think it right to retain the knowledge of God, so you know, lean on themselves. Um, so going, bring it back to this weekend. Uh, it's a big splash in, uh, after the this this talk of heaven, and. Um, I mean, a lot of people don't come, just choose not to come to this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of you probably listening just 
because people are getting baptized, you don't want to come to this weekend for whatever reason. I don't know what's wrong with you. Um, but what, what is, what, why is that? What, um, well, it's, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lack of really us telling people, wait a minute, this is a community. This is not a spiritual Ted talk. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think it is easy to reduce the event of church down to a TED talk, thumbs up, thumbs down. What did I get something? Did I not that I can take away? Mm-hmm. That's part of the value of it. It's part of the reason why churches like Southbrook are effective because we do make things. It's pretty relevant. self-centered, though. <laughs> it is very self-centered. It lacks the understanding of community. I'm a part of a community, right? I, I'm I'm a part of contributing to a community, and mm-hmm. and part of that is celebrating one another, serving one another. And so, to me, I look at it as a leader, and as leaders, we have not done an effective job in showing people, you know, you're a part of this community. Now, part of that is we don't have this real definitive structural line of whose who's members of Southbrook yeah. and not, and so I understand that. Mm-hmm. But I do know, I mean, I, I say this, if you've given one dollar, if you've come to one service... And if you only have one life to give, then you're a member at Southbrook, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, you know, we consider you that way. So I, I, I look at it as a failure in really communicating to people, hey, this is, this is not about you. This mm-hmm. is about you being a part of a larger faith community. Mm-hmm. And we cheer one another on, loving and being loved, serving and being served, giving and being given to celebrating and being celebrated. And especially if you've already been immersed and you've been celebrated. Can you imagine doing that and making that public declaration and nobody showed up? Mm-hmm. Nobody showed up. Nobody thought it was important enough to celebrate you. Um, for those who did it publicly, that would be, that would be disappointing. You'd say, what, 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 what does my faith community value? Mm. Right? And so... You know, part of the value of this, we, we had to go to Saturday night only because we had so many people that just checked out. They just didn't come. And so we've acquiesced to that and say, okay, we understand that some of you aren't there yet. And the uh, first task of leadership is to find reality. That's reality. It's been proven for a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. So that's why we said we're just going to do baptisms on Saturday night and we're going to meet you where you are on Sunday morning. We're still going to have a, a normal, quote unquote, normal Sunday morning experience. And then we'll do the same thing again in the fall. Mm-hmm. Evaluate it, see how how it goes. But it's a, you know leadership is a defining of reality, and then and then trying your best to meet that reality in the context of what's also where you're trying to lead people. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you know leadership's never done, and when it comes to big splash weekends, we've seen the need to make alterations in how mm-hmm. we do it. So well, it's a Great weekend coming up after, I mean, you ended last week in the mirror of Christianity with, if this isn't true, then it is of no importance. If it is true, then it is of every importance. Yeah. And this uh, weekend like this is the um, is the mountaintop of that. You know? It is. You know, and I, I just, I, I personally would, I just love apologetics because when I go through a series like this and the volume of material that I've read is, is 10 times what I'm able to present. Mm-hmm. You know, it really is. Mm-hmm. And it just reinvigorates me for faith. Mm-hmm. I have more faith in my faith than I've ever had now, right now as I sit here. Because I just, man, 
I see so reasonably why mm-hmm. billions of people have said, this is the one, this mm-hmm. is the one, this is the one. God exists, and he revealed himself in Jesus of Nazareth. And uh, You've certainly done that the last few weeks. I mean, the... the, the, the um, the certain series popped on for saying certainly. Um, I think the the effect this will have is last few weeks is um, it's certainly spirit breathed and listening listening to it last number of weeks. Um, it is it you know, the, the Greek word apologia is uh, is to give answer to, mm-hmm. and the the apologetics is based in the to qualify truth claims yeah. and to give answers. Yeah, and that was and it was certainly that. Yeah, and it's just that balance, you know, you don't you want to give conviction with without condescension. First mm-hmm. Peter three fifteen, be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope you have, but do so with gentleness, gentleness and, and respect. respect. And I hope that that's the case. Is mm-hmm. I've had people say, your email me and say, you know, I'm an agnostic and I've really searched and I appreciate this series. Mm-hmm. You know, so it didn't. You know, you you. You wobbling agnostics, you, why can't you just get in the boat? Oh, what is it, Romans 14, you know? about the, the man who has little faith and to not um, basically bitch around about disputable matters mm-hmm. and, and, and condemning him for his little faith. Mm-hmm. Um, you've certainly um, not, not been an heir there. It's, it's been a great series, and I hope, well, I I hope a lot of people that. come out to... Um, Hear the conclusion of it, uh, not just uh, uh, the conclusion, uh, you know, intellectually with it and teaching with what you're what you're going to be talking about, the, but the real conclusion of it, which is the um, the multiplication and the baptisms that will happen that yeah. we already know will happen this weekend, and the more that will uh, walk up as a result of um, feeling that final nudge. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Yep. Uh, we have. We'll have. Uh, if any of you are listening to this and you're in the, and you were looking for that final nudge, we have the clothes, we have the uh, pastors, and we have the water. Ninety-five degrees. Just bring your faith. Just bring your faith. Mm-hmm. Just bring your mustard seed of faith. We'll yeah. plant it in the ground. That's so, right. till next week. This is Austin and Charlie saying goodbye and shut. Up.